Welcome, dear listeners, to the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades 2021 Halloween Special. Please excuse my intrusion, but your regular human hosts, Rob, Chris, Kyle, and Michael are otherwise indisposed. You see, they were guests of my very exclusive dinner party. Never fear, my friends. I have their last requests, er, recordings, that they wish to share with you all this year. Join them as they tell tales of cryptids that have been known to terrify the Northeast. Creatures that, just a few hours from Pittsburgh, have been known to go bump in the night. We begin our evening with Michael Ernett and the being, perhaps, from beyond the stars. Here now is the Flatwoods Monster. Somewhere around five years ago, I was working a natural gas pipeline job in Weston, West Virginia, home of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. The asylum itself is internationally known and is a great source of tourism for the area, particularly with paranormal researchers. But the story I'm about to tell you takes place slightly to the south of this famous haunt, and in its time brought far more acclaim to the local community. Little did I know at the time, but I spent several weeks sleeping in the shadow of the hill upon which this unexplained event took place. But its witnesses, and the hamlet itself, were forever changed on the chilly fall night. September 12, 1952 dawned like any other in the small town of Flatwoods, West Virginia. The community of just under 300 began their day like any other. Most people were involved in the railroad industry, as it was the halfway point of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad between Clarksburg and Richwood. It was a good lunch stop for passengers and workers on the line, and the economy boasted it that way. After a normal day, Edward and Fred May were playing in the backyard of their mother Kathleen's home, along with neighborhood friend Tommy Heyer. Suddenly, at around 7.15 p.m., the teens saw a bright object circle the sky and land on the farm of local resident G. Bailey Fisher. They ran in and grabbed Kathleen and reported what they witnessed. According to Jason Burns, the paranormal storyteller who specializes in West Virginia sightings, he said, They saw it circle around the hill and crash and thought it might be a meteor or something like that. And so they all walked up the hill to see where the crash was. Along for the journey were the Mays, their family dog Richie, Tommy Heyer, neighborhood children Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon. Lemon had been asked along to verify what the boys had seen. When they arrived, they were immediately met with a wall of acrid-smelling smoke and encountered on the ground a glowing red orb. Richie the dog ran ahead toward the light but quickly turned in fear and would not return any closer, whimpering as though he had somehow been chastised. Investigating further, Lemon shined his light up the hill. It was then that the group witnessed what would be described as the most horrifying sight of their lives. 
It was a ten-foot-tall creature with a head shaped like a spade and wearing what appeared to be a dark metallic dress. Its head glowed red and green. Its hands were clawed and twisted. Seemingly levitating above the ground, its eyes glowed eerily orange. It quickly turned and hissed, moved toward the witnesses, who very reasonably fled in terror. In the following days, witnesses reported bouts of nausea, throat irritation, and vomiting for days. Dismissed by local authorities as symptoms of hysteria, others like to point out that they're also the side effects of mustard gas. It should be, noticed, it should be noted that the same authorities investigated later and reportedly found nothing of note at the site. Oddly, another local resident reported seeing a similar creature several miles north of Flatwood and not long before the incident at the Fisher Farm. Mrs. Audra Harper noticed a ball of fire while taking a shortcut home with a friend, followed by the same dark silhouette. They too ran and never looked back. And then, on September 13th, George and Edith Snitowski were driving approximately 20 miles south of Flatwoods when they reported yet another sighting, this time when their car stalled. It was the same acrid smoke, and their 18-month-old baby started crying inexplicably, and a 10-foot-tall figure passed in front of the headlights of their car, scraping the hood this time not wearing the telltale spade hood that had been reported in other sightings. And then, as quickly as the sightings came, they were gone. Several days after the incident, Mrs. May was visited by U.S. government officials who investigated the events of the night. It seems Kathleen had gotten some sort of oil that night on her dress, so the men in black took the dress to examine it and never returned, either to follow up or to give back the clothing. Conspiracies abound. It made national news, mostly due to similar sightings throughout the country in places like Roswell, New Mexico, and in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Critics suggest things related to the Cold War and the space race. Others suggest simple, conventional explanation, like owls and tree branches and lighting and the fog. Adding to the criticism, is that the size of the creature varied from 7 feet tall to a hulking 17 feet tall in a little more than a week according to different accounts. The town of Flatwoods, like many places where such things occur, has used for the past 70 years the tourism of the Flatwoods monster and used it as a unique way to differentiate itself from the now defunct whistle stops of the bygone days of rail. So, we'll let you be the judge. Was it a monster? Was it an American or even a Soviet in some space-age prototype outfit? Was it the Mothman's cousin who had taken up residence in a different part of the mountain state? Or was it some other visitor? Some creature from another galaxy or a dimension that we're unaware of seeking to discover what he could about humans and earth for me i will only say that i will be much more aware of the places in which i lay my head 
especially traveling in West by God, Virginia. And I'll possibly sleep with one eye open. Next, we hear the tragic story of a tortured beast born, perhaps, of the devil himself. Turning our eyes east, follow Rob North as he hunts down the Jersey Devil. New Jersey has long established itself as the land of the shore, the Sopranos, and the pork roll. But within its confines lies a stretch of near-empty wilderness known as the Pine Barrens. To put it simply, the Barrens, also known as the Pinelands, are enormous, stretching for over a million acres to cover the vast majority of the state's southern half, filled with dense, desolate pine woods and swamps that are inimical to human life, but have been a home to a large variety of wildlife and a rich deposit of natural resources for the people of the surrounding area. But beyond the people, the wildlife, and the various flora and fauna of these tightly packed woodlands, there may be something else making its home in the Pine Barrens. Humans have lived in the Pine Barrens for thousands of years, but never in great numbers. Indigenous nations like the Ramapo, the Lene Lenape, and the Nanticoke made occasional homes in the Barrens, as did some of the first English settlers who started to fill the area beginning in the middle of the 1600s. Because of their isolated nature, the Barrens have long been a home to those more solitary folk, seeking separation from society, those who are more independent-minded and trying to make their own way, or seeking a new start, or those who have something to hide. The Pine Barrens have been a hiding place for smugglers since before the United States was even born, a route for rum runners and moonshiners, and a place for organized crime outfits to hide stashes and bury bodies. Over the years, thousands of people have disappeared in the Barrens, never to be seen alive again. Some, of course, get lost while hiking, hunting, or trapping, or use the Barrens as a cover to slip away to a new life. But there may be a reason for some of the more unexplained deaths and disappearances. Something darker. Something that, by all rights, shouldn't exist in these woods. Something wrong. Our story begins in the colonial period, when... White settlers and the indigenous nations were still jockeying for control of southern New Jersey, but the tide of Europeans continued to grow. Among these new settlers were one influential family, one with wealth and power, the sort of family that was old money when the money was new. The Leeds family were Quakers, peaceable and fruitful, making their imprint on coastal New Jersey as traders, shipping magnates, and farmers. Their name still exists in many of the place names in the region, and their family story is intertwined with such figures as Benjamin Franklin and William Penn. But for the purposes of our story, we focus in on Japheth Leeds, his wife, and their twelve children. The year was 1735. The mother of this enormous family is known to folklore only as Mother Leeds. When the poor woman, broken and exhausted by half a lifetime of carrying and birthing an endless cycle of offspring, discovered that she was once again with child, she cried out in exasperation, This one shall surely be of the devil. Little did she know that the devil would oblige. When the pregnancy had run its course and the fateful time came, the family was gathered with the midwives in their home deep in the Pine Barrens. The labor was long and arduous, but the child was born. All seemed normal at first. The babe swaddled in cloth and placed to its mother's breast as she took her rest. But soon it became clear that something was terribly, terribly wrong. The babe began to grow, quickly, 
far larger than any new infant should have been. Its stubby little fingers and toes lengthening and giving way to sharp claws. The child's head began to lengthen, the eyes turning a deep, evil red, its toothless mouth suddenly filling with lethal fangs, and its squalling wails giving way to a terrible screech, a combination like the grating of metal layered over the most visceral and gut-wrenching scream of human pain. The beast leapt upon its exhausted and horrified mother, tearing out her throat with its teeth, and then leapt upon the terrified midwives, tearing them apart for helping to bring it into the world. The beast escaped from the bedroom, smashing the door like matchwood, eviscerating any of its siblings that got close enough, before leathery wings burst from its back and the creature flew up and out of the chimney into the dense woods, disappearing into the moonless night, leaving behind nothing but blood, grief, and terror. And in those woods, the creature grew to its full, frightening form. A chimeric monstrosity from the most fevered of nightmares, an affront to the very laws of nature. Standing somewhere between 8 and 10 feet tall with a massive muscular body, long forelimbs ending in razor-sharp claws, legs like the hind parts of a goat ending in cloven hooves, an elongated head like that of a horse with a mouth filled with terrifying fangs, and a pair of leathery-veined bat-like wings with a span of 20 feet or more. Its terrible cry matured as well, remaining just as horrifyingly grating and screeching, but now able to carry its way seemingly for miles through dense woodland that breaks up any other sound that tries to travel through it. Some, story, some stories claim that the beast survives by feeding on the creatures of the woodland, scavenging the bodies of dead animals and feeding on anything it can catch, including the lost and hapless who may wander too close. Others say that for generations, the Jersey Devil would pay visits to the homes of the members of the Leeds family, the ones who had survived its gruesome birth anyway extorting food in return for not visiting upon them the same bloody violence it had wrought against so many members of the family that had brought about its cursed existence. The Jersey Devil has gone down in history as a sort of boogeyman, and something of a center of blame for unfortunate happenings all over the area. If a well went dry, or a farmer's hens didn't lay eggs, or the crops failed, the Jersey Devil was to blame. History and folklore are full of stories and figures like this, but what sets the Jersey Devil apart are the terrifying nature of encounters with the creature and just how many people have seen and heard it. The appearance of the creature leaves those who have seen it shaken to the core, struggling to process the unnatural, unnatural sight they've beheld. The encounters vary in form from simply hearing the creature's unsettling call to catching glimpses of something waiting in the trees its shadowy, hulking form unnaturally large among the branches, to being swooped down upon by a creature with a massive wingspan. Of course, the skeptics have waded into the debate with their own thoughts on what people may actually be seeing and hearing, and if the story is even based off of a physical encounter with a creature at all. The sightings of the creature is, are actually that of the surprisingly large great blue heron that populates large swathes of the wetland areas within the barrens or of one of several species of owl or other birds of prey that can be found in the woods, their large size being augmented by the skewed perspective of relative distance that the dense woods can sometimes create. Others have posited that it's a misdiagnosed sighting of a deer, a bear, perhaps even an escaped horse, cow, or llama, all of which inhabit many farms in the area. Some scholars believe the discovery of dinosaur fossils before the modern scientific interpretation of such finds may have fueled the devil's stories. What they may be hearing is the call of a deer in rut, or a fox, or again the call of one of many varied birds of prey, the sound being distorted as it moves through the woods. 
Even the origin of the Jersey Devil is rubbished by skeptics so often, claiming that the origin lies in a cautionary tale meant to keep people's wits about them in the dangerous woods and wary of the hazards of travel within. But in spite of what the skeptics may say, there have been thousands of sightings claimed over the years by people who were absolutely sure they saw something unnatural, some documented in calls to the authorities, some in letters and journals, some just passed down in folklore, but some central figures of history have had sightings of the creature. In 1814, Commodore Stephen Decatur, one of the leading lights of the early American Navy, visited the Hanover Millworks on the edge of the Barrens to help supervise the arming of a naval squadron being fitted out under his command. Stories tell of Decatur and several of his fellow officers, as well as many of the Millworks staff, sighting a massive demonic creature lurking in the trees at the edge of the woods. The beast evoked such fear in the men that the party dragged over a naval gun and fired several freshly forged cannonballs at the creature, but missed entirely, the winged horror simply flapping its way back into the trees. In 1820, none other than Joseph Bonaparte, brother of the former French Emperor Napoleon and the former King of Spain and Naples, who had moved to New Jersey after the fall of his brother, wrote of a sighting in his Bordentown estate, claiming that he had seen a creature outside of his mansion's upper floor windows of, quote, great size and indescribable appearance, like that of a winged horse, but of a far more terrible nature, end quote. In 1840 and 41, a rash of livestock killings began to overwhelm the farming communities of New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. Their sheep, cows, and pigs not only killed and partially eaten, as so often happens, but cruelly torn asunder. Their remains scattered over vast distances, the only evidence of what may have happened being the sounds of an unknown creature's grating screech and the flapping sound of huge wings in the night. In January of 1909, around the towns of Egg Harbor, Camden, and Haddon Heights, a rash of sightings set off what can only be described as Jersey Devil hysteria. Sighting claims included a trolley car in Haddon Heights being attacked by a massive screeching winged creature, smashing in the windows and covering passengers with broken glass, and a massive beast crashing repeatedly into the third-story windows of the Camden Social Club on its monthly women's night, trying to get in and blocking out the light from outside. Hoofprints were seen in the snow on places they shouldn't have been, like roofs and balconies and the tops of train cars. Police in Camden and in nearby Bristol, Pennsylvania, claimed to have seen and shot at the creature. Newspaper reports caused anxiety and fear to flare up throughout the area as far away as Delaware and Maryland, and by the end of the work week throughout southern New Jersey, schools were closed and shops and factories shuttered. The population came out in droves in vigilante hunting parties, armed with whatever firearms they had to hand, and set off into the woods to finally put an end to the creature. The Philadelphia Zoo offered a $10,000 reward for the beast, alive or dead, and even built a cage for it should whoever come to claim the reward take the first option. For another four days, these hunting parties scoured the area, shooting at whatever looked unusual or took them by surprise. At the end of the long weekend, there was nothing to show for their efforts but the hospitalization of dozens of intrepid devil hunters, nursing frostbite and buckshot wounds. In 1927, a taxi driver was attacked by a massive winged creature sustaining significant bruising and cuts when something larger than a man swooped down on him whilst he was changing a tire, buffeting him with its wings and trampling him with his hooves. The man managed to crawl into the car and shut the door, but the creature remained badly damaging the vehicle until it finally gave up and flew off into the night. 
1996, a New Jersey state forestry officer was traveling down one of the many desolate backwoods dirt roads that crisscrossed the Barrens near the Mullica River. When as he turned the corner, a massive creature stood in the road and he plowed straight into it. Amidst the cloud of dust and steam from the impact, the ranger could hear a squealing, strangling cry and horrific animal grunting. As he fumbled for his flashlight, whatever it was that he had struck with his truck disappeared into a dust and whirlwind. The sound of flapping wings disappearing into the night. The only evidence left was the caved-in front end of the vehicle, which could have happened with any impact with a deer or black bear. But what stood out were the long, parallel raking gouges on the parts of the vehicle's bodywork undamaged by the impact. No other creature that he'd encountered before or since had ever done that so the ranger claims. As recently as 2019, high-definition video has emerged of a supposed Jersey Devil sighting. Filmed at night with the beam of the light catching something that takes off out of a tree and sends the limb shaking with more force than any bird should be able to exert upon takeoff. The creature isn't clearly seen, only in shadow, but the form in the video is absolutely enormous. Its wingspan easily five yards or more. Video forensics experts have examined the video footage and the file, and to date have found no evidence of tampering or effects on the video itself. Whether it's the devil or not, we can't say. But the one thing that is clear in the video is the terror of the people filming it. Their panic screams overwhelming the audio track. It may all just be wild imagination getting the better of people, or the expansiveness and spookiness of the forests and swamps causing people to see things, but... There have been too many claims of sightings and encounters with this unnatural beast to be fully discounted, and the disappearance and violent deaths of so many in the area over the years can only be partially explained away by roadside robbers and La Cosa Nostra. So if you find yourself in or around the Pine Barrens of southern New Jersey, take care and be wary, for you never know when and where the devil himself Mother Leeds, 13th Child, waits. Our next story is from the aptly named Eerie Pennsylvania, and a mysterious woman who has been known to interrupt shipping. Chris Miller takes us north to find out more about the Storm Hag. If you've ever felt a certain uneasiness around a body of water, you certainly aren't alone. Fear of the unknown, after all, is part of the human condition. But why is it always the fear of dark waters and not a quiet curiosity or serene tranquility? Why has this become our uncanny valley? Could it be because of centuries-old experiences that are ingrained somewhere deep in our subconscious? To answer that question, we can look to the stories that have been passed down for generations in nearly every society. In British folklore, there are tales of the Grindylo, a dark, vaguely female figure with pointed teeth and long, spindly arms with sharp talons that hides along weed-covered edges of ponds. She snatches up passersby and drags them back into the murky depths. In Australia, the different Aboriginal tribes told stories of the Bunyip, a violent water spirit described in forms ranging from a hideous dog-like creature to a beast with a long neck with a small pointed head, and even, according to some accounts, 
an enormous starfish that will drown anyone unfortunate enough to happen past the deep pools that it calls home. Even today, stories of the river mama are told in Jamaica, described as a ghastly figure that combs its long, dark hair with a golden comb. It has a paralyzing stare that it uses to subdue both predator and prey alike. In Japan, the hulking umibotsu will surprise passing vessels and burst forth from the water demanding a bucket or a barrel. If the sailors can't provide one, their ship is smashed to timbers and they're all left to drown. Survivors say the only way to escape is to give the monster a bottomless bucket. This confounds the great beast and allows the sailors a chance to slip away in the confusion. But located off of Presque Isle, just a few hours' drive from Pittsburgh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, an even more terrifying creature has been stalking unwitting sailors for centuries. Unexplained phenomena have earned the areas surrounding Presque Isle the moniker the Erie Quadrangle, but chief among the disappearances of several vessels and many unfortunate sailors is the Storm Hag. The Storm Hag, sometimes called Jenny Green Teeth by the locals, is a bone-chilling combination of both Grindylow and Siren. She waits in the waters, often less than a mile from shore. It bides her time until a vessel passes near enough for her to strike. Witnesses, yes, eyewitnesses, describe her as a pale green monstrous woman with strands of black hair that frame her piercing yellow eyes gaping mouth. Mouth filled with row after row of needle-like teeth not unlike a hellish shark. Her arms are unnaturally long, long enough to wrap themselves around the hull of a passing ship if need be. But, even more chillingly, the arms end in long, thin fingers that are more scythe than claw, each one dripping venom that will paralyze a man in his tracks with even the slightest touch. When the storm hag finally settles upon her target, she strikes. It happens methodically, it happens deliberately. Once it begins, it is not over until she decides that it is. When she finds a suitable victim, she springs her merciless trap. Without warning, a violent storm as if from nowhere erupts around her prey. Waves crash, lightning spews from jet black clouds, rain lashes the ships and their crews, hurricane winds rip sails and riggings to tatters. Suddenly, the storm ends just as quickly as it had appeared, and that is when she announces her arrival with a song. From beneath the waves she chants, Come, Come into, into the, the water, water, love, dance, dance beneath, beneath the waves, waves. Where, where dwell, dwell the bones the of sailors inside, inside the saffron cave. The sailors on deck are bewitched by her ghastly song. It is only then, in the eerie calm, that the hag bursts forth from the water, a torrent of lightning issuing from her mouth, gnashing at sailors with her gruesome, greenish-yellow teeth and slashing her long, spindly, venomous claws. Any sailors left alive are frozen stone-like in place with a single drop of her venom, helpless except for to watch the carnage around them. When she is done ravaging the ship and its crew, she spreads wide her arms and drags the vessel under the surface, along with anyone nearby that has been thrown overboard by the storm. Anyone suffering the misfortune of being in her grasp 
is dragged down into the depths of the lake, deep in her saffron caves. How then, dear listener, do we know that these stories of the storm hag aren't just a sailor's story told over a round or two of drinks in dockside taverns? Because eyewitnesses on the beach in Presque Isle saw such a storm in 1782. On an otherwise pleasant afternoon, beachgoers saw the storm suddenly materialize around a ship. They heard the blood-curdling screams of sailors desperately pleading for help. When the storm abated, they watched the vessel slip below the surface. All of this happened just a few hundred yards away from the beach. The oil tanker Klevko became stranded. It was being towed back to the port by the tug Admiral when a violent snow squall suddenly appeared, shielding the Admiral from sight. When the storm abated, tow lines were taut and angled sharply into the water from the bow of the tanker, still attached to the tug that now lay upon the bottom of the lake. A distress call was sent out, reporting the location of the accident, and the next day the oil tanker was found nearly 20 miles from her last reported position, before a second snowstorm appeared and the Klevko was nowhere to be found when the squall had passed. This was not in the 18th century. This was in 1942, and it was reported by the Civil Air Patrol. Neither the Klevko or the Admiral have ever been found, and both crews were lost. Why is it that we're so predisposed to thinking that a monster lie in wait just below the surface? It may very well be that our ancestors remember the Grindylo, the Bunyip, the Yamabutsu, the Storm Hag, and those fears are now a part of our DNA. Just like the rabbit fears the hawk and the deer fears the hunter. So the next time you make the trip to Presque Isle, think twice about hitting the water. And if you hear the song, it's already too late. Finally, and one of the most famous, or is it infamous, cryptids of all, we will lend our ears to Kyle Graper as he heads south once again to uncover the prophecies of the Mothman. The beast illuminated in the headlights Steve Millette's 57 Chevy Bel Air defied reason. Easily seven feet tall and covered in light gray fur or feathers, its backwards bent legs were tipped with large talons. Where a head should have been visible, mounted on its neckless shoulders, instead only two unnaturally red eyes pierced through the night air. Apparently unhappy with the sudden attention, the creature fled uneasily into the woods towards the abandoned North Power Plant. Despite venturing into the over 8,000-acre McClintock Wildlife Management Area for a late-night joyride, Steve and Mary Millette, along with their friends Roger and Linda Scarberry, decided to immediately head to nearby Point Pleasant, West Virginia, three and a half hours southwest of Pittsburgh, to report their experience to the local sheriff. Turning left on the Route 62, they were shocked to discover the shadowy entity posted near a billboard. It immediately extended two tremendous wings of taut, nearly translucent skin, and in a singular motion rocketed into the air to take chase. Steve accelerated the car faster and faster, reaching nearly 100 miles an hour, yet above them. Without so much as flapping a wing, the beast silently kept pace. Never moved past them, but remained directly above until they reached the city limits of Point Pleasant. Deputy Millard Halstead was shocked to discover the panicked youth, but took the fourth sum's experience seriously 
having knowledge of them in this tight-knit community of only 6,000. Wasting little time, he ventured into the wildlife reserve. While there was no creature to be seen, a strange dust devil on an otherwise windless night greeted him, as did unusual, high-pitched, almost insect-like noises emanating from his police cruiser's radio. The next morning, the sheriff's department held a press conference, and after one reporter noted the similarities in description to that of TV's Batman, the modern legend of the Mothman was born. While the night of November 15, 1966 brought the first significant media attention to West Virginia's most famous cryptozoological resident, reports of large, bird-like creatures with terrifying red eyes can be dated back to the early 20th century. Around times of tragedy, such as a series of devastating floods along the banks of the Ohio River centered in 1913, sightings of disturbingly large flying entities were frequently reported. These continued through World War II, often around the West Virginia Ordnance Works, $45 million munitions plant in service from 1942 to 1945, and the origin of the Wildlife Reserve's colloquial nickname, the TNT. Despite the consistency of the sightings, these experiences rarely, if ever, made it to local press. This changed the 1966. Days before the Millette Scarberry encounter outside the now decommissioned weapons facility, a National Guardsman near the abandoned North Power plant reported seeing a large, strange bird. On November 12th, four gravediggers reported a similar sighting. Large, bird-like creature flying silently above, its eyes a horrifyingly reflective red. After the press conference following the November 15th encounter, Sightings continued with increasing frequency, likely fueled by armed citizens and curious teenagers pouring into the woods in an attempt to glimpse the press sensation or the opportunity to bring it down. There are dozens of recorded sightings from this period and roughly 100 unique witnesses. Motorcyclists out on a moonlit night exploring the abandoned power plant brushing within feet of the beast on a catwalk. A mother insisting it tried to steal her baby out from her home motorist shocked to see a gargantuan wings overhead in broad daylight, teenagers catching sight of two red eyes emanating from the darkness of the now forgotten structures around the old plant, a man in his twenties shocked to find a winged devil at the foot of his bed. But what was this beast, and where did it come from? A West Virginia University biologist suggested a sandhill crane. Some of the more religiously minded reached towards angels or demons, the latter perhaps summoned by a cult ritual. Others looked to the increasingly clear ecological disaster left behind in the TNT's aging concrete storage igloos. Once homed in munitions supplies, many had since been used as chemical waste storage, steadily seeping toxins into the local water table. Could this Mothman be the result of mutation caused by corporate and governmental carelessness? A simple owl transformed into some kind of monster? Or do we deem to look further back? Was the treatment of the native population at the hands of the Virginia militia to blame? Chief Cornstalk, betrayed while petitioning for peace and executed by gunfire in the 1600s, was said to have used his last breath on a curse. Was the shadow beast the tool of that vengeance? Perhaps an extraterrestrial visitor or an extra-dimensional being drawn specifically to Point Pleasant. Sitting where waters meet, natives largely avoided the area, believing the barrier between planes of existence was thinner there, that something from another reality could cross into our own. John Keel, author of The Mothman Prophecies and the inspiration for the mediocre Richard Gere vehicle, suggests the Mothman may be an example of an ultra-terrestrial of this earth, but in a form rarely perceivable to man. 
conceptually similar to light outside the human's visible spectrum, ultraviolet in organism form. High strangeness in the area built to a frenzied level as 1966 turned to 1967. UFO sightings joined the cacophony, as did encounters with strange grinning men with otherworldly accents, unexplainable lights in the trees, and the disappearances of pets and livestock. Sometimes these were followed by visits from mysterious, unidentified government agents in black suits. Some of the earliest reports of the men in black these figures could be as menacing as the subjects they were researching, and made clear with no uncertainty that some facts were intended to remain away from the public eye. The fever pitch of Mothman sightings came to a catastrophic halt on December 15, 1967. The Silver Bridge connecting Point Pleasant to its sister city Gallipolis collapsed under the weight of rush hour traffic, killing 46. Built in 1928, when the average car weighed only 1,500 pounds, the I-bar chain suspension bridge was no longer up to the task it was created for, made brutally clear on that cold December day. A single link failed, snapping a suspension line and tossing cars off either side into the frigid Ohio River, before the structure itself fell into the water, trapping or crushing those below. What was generally accepted to be the result of aging infrastructure, others whispered there may be a more unnatural and spectacular cause that appearances of the Mothman reached crescendo as the Silver Bridge failed implied a connection. Did this otherworldly monster cause the tragedy, or was it trying to warn the population of impending doom? As around the deadly floods in Point Pleasant's history, it seems the red eyes of the beast were drawn to human suffering. While the Mothman story centers around those 13 months from November 1966 to December 1967, sightings have continued. In 2007, there were reports of Mothman sightings surrounding another bridge collapse, this time along Interstate 35 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In 2016, a hunter captured what he believed to be a winged man-like creature on film, not far from Point Pleasant itself. Recent reports have centered around Chicago. Since 2017, city residents have reported a creature nearly identical to the Point Pleasant phenomenon in its population centers. Has the winged terror moved to denser grounds on the hunt for prey? Or have those giant red eyes seen yet another tragedy on our horizon? I thank you once again, dear listeners, for staying in to listen to tales of beasts that may have sprung from the imagination. Or perhaps they are something more. I apologize for the rudeness of your regular host for failing to appear to you, but I am told it is unkind to speak ill of the dead. As for me, I must be going. The sun will soon be rising and I am dead tired. Before I return to my slumber, I implore you all to hold fast. If you dare. Ha <laughs> ha.